to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of June 16th. I'm DirtOnDirt.com staff writer Joshua Joyner, joined by the rest of the Dirt on Dirt editorial staff after a long four days of racing at Eldor Speedway's double Dirt Late Model Dreams. We've got a lot to break down and discuss from an unprecedented stretch of racing at Eldora that saw Brandon Overton defy uh, all of our expert, if you want to call them that, predictions, and complete the sweep of not just both of the dream features, but also for good measure, he added in wins in both prelim features as well there at Eldora. So we'll talk all about that and uh, maybe also try to squeeze in some talk about the Dirt Car Summer Nationals that's, uh, oh, by the way, getting started this week as well. As always, I'm joined by DirtOnDirt.com Managing Editor Todd Turner. Todd, are you still trying to figure out the prelim feature lineups, or did we get that sorted out uh, by now? Uh, I've got my abacus uh, working, and I think I've about got it dialed in just in time for him to change it next time. Yeah, I'm, I'm already expecting some changes to, to those. They changed it in the middle of the of the, of the dream, so I'm sure they'll change it for the world. But uh, those were some interesting formats they used. And uh, Robert Holman, who was uh, following along and, and helping out with coverage uh, via the Flow Racing coverage. Uh, Robert, did you enjoy watching the Double Dreams from home? Uh, yes, I did. It was uh, it was very, very entertaining. I thought that everybody did a great job while they were up there, and, and it was a uh, – uh, really an excellent broadcast so yeah i thought it was uh thought it was a good deal and i i enjoyed it and of course kevin kovac our senior writer who like me was at the dream all week kevin did you enjoy the week at eldora yeah yeah it was uh definitely uh, uh entertaining a lot of a uh, lot of action going on a lot of stuff happened uh and we made it through. That's number one. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm I don't want the World 100 uh, four days, a double World 100s to be here very quickly. I think we need a little recovery time. And I'm certainly not looking forward now to five days at Silver Dollar Nationals in Nebraska in July, because that's going to be another long one. These uh these extended uh, big two big races and in one stretch boy they're they're uh they're tough L- luckily overton won again because if he were just won thursday it had been old news and he almost be forgotten right now yeah i think brandon over and didn't want everyone to forget about his first dream victory so he just went ahead and stole the the headlines start by just overall reactions to like i said unprecedented uh, historic whatever you want to call it and maybe uh todd you can provide some pr- perspective on that uh, brandon overton's sweep I think two hundred seventy-three thousand dollars. What, where, in your mind, where does that rank? Is that, is it one of the best performances in dirt late model racing, or, or what do you think, Todd? Definitely. So, I mean, again, I mean, I kind of feel like you, you always need a little perspective on things like this. So you want to, you know, it'll be nice to feel what it feels like ten years from now. But I mean, I think sitting there and watching that, and just seeing one driver just dominate uh such a weekend with such big money on the line with so many good drivers at at you know basically the pinnacle of the sport as far as aldora um you know it, 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 straight off the top it's easy to say yeah this is one of the best things we've ever seen and i'm not sure individually if i would have a lot to rank with it well one thing i will say about uh we've talked a little bit about oh can somebody sweep this and whatever now we watch somebody do it and maybe one thing we overlooked about, uh, clearly it's a difficult thing because things have to fall your way with all the inverts and you can't run into trouble. And and, and clearly he did not. I mean, he had a, the smoothest weekend you could imagine. But one thing we might have overlooked is that somebody that was so good and on a roll uh, Wednesday and Thursday in the first race uh, would have the opportunity to come right back and win. 
you know, it's one thing to, to, to win at the dream and then come back to the world after a summer of racing and you got maybe a different car or things are a little different. At least this one, you've really, you're literally going right back at it with something, you know, that worked. Uh, and it's not often that somebody's as good as Brandon was, uh, so much better than everybody else seemingly. Uh, but while I was there, I mean, I guess, you know, we, even in uh, ahead of time, but definitely after Thursday night, um, I guess the feeling was de definitely starting to swell that, oh my goodness, he's so good. It's going to be hard for anybody to beat him, which maybe makes it even more impressive that he, that he still did that Saturday, even facing, you know, a man of challenge there late in the race. I think you bring up a really good point because that may, I actually thought about this. We were also like, no, no one's going to sweep it. There's no, I don't say no way, but we were all like, I didn't see it happening, but then you think about really dominant cars at Eldora, and I'm thinking about like Scott Bloomquist, the year he um, he came, uh, you know, penalized and came from the back. You know, if he had another chance the next day and the day after to to win again with his car the way as good as it was, you know, you, why wouldn't you expect him to do it, right? Kind of like with Overton there, as good as he was, like he it would have taken some bad luck for him not to win. It seemed like, and and he was fortunate it didn't happen. Uh, Kevin, what do, you, what do you think? I know you talked with a lot of uh, some other drivers, and I know like Mark Richards, Scott Blomquist, people in the sport, and got some perspective. Do you feel like it's, uh, you know, like Todd, do you agree it's, it's probably one of the most impressive things we've seen? Yeah, it's, that's what uh, you got for the, the feeling you have from everybody. I mean, it was uh, – I talked to Billy Moria right before the race, and he had also – first of all, he had said – uh, you know, he didn't race on Saturday because he was kind of buried in the heats and had a bad Friday. So he just was a spectator and he said that he was going to go. He had talked to, um, to Overton, his buddy Overton, and said, hey, he, you're, you're stealing my nickname. You know, he's Mr. Smooth because he was so, uh, you know, silky smooth is what uh, Moyer t said about Overton. And um, and then he also said that Overton's like, man, he's going to beat my Knoxville sweep uh, from back, uh, you know, a decade ago when, when, when Moyer won both preliminaries and the 40,000 to win Knoxville Nationals. And, 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 and that would, you could sort of compare that. I mean, they obviously back when Moyer did that, he, he wasn't, he was running against full field on both uh, Thursday and Friday. Didn't, there was no split fields like, uh, like Overton did uh, this, you know, at, at Eldora. But I mean, still, it's the biggest stage in racing. It's the biggest stage in dirt late model racing. So many you know, little things that could happen just with like a, a starting spot or who's in front of you or something or breaks or a flat tire, you run over something and nothing happened in more than, you know, 300, some almost 300 laps, I guess, that he ran and qualifying and preliminaries. I mean, it's, it's amazing there. And I mean, I was thinking of like, put it, put it in perspective. One of the only things that I could think of, I mean, I, there was, you know, there was Moyer's sweep. There was also uh, Donnie Moran, when he won in uh, less than 24 hours, he won $90,000 back in 1988 at West Virginia Motor Speedway and, and at Pennsboro. And Donnie Moran brought that up, actually. And But I, I, I thought of 2019, when Chris Madden was in line to sweep every crown jewel, every 100-lap race in August. He won the USA Nationals, 50000 He won the North-South, 150000 He won the Topless, 100 for 40000 he, he didn't sweep the whole week of uh, all the preliminaries, but he had all those hundred lappers and then he went to the dirt million, which would have been over a hundred thousand. And he had a great chance to win that. Everybody was thinking he would. And then he falls off. He ends up crashing a, in, on a golf cart that crash falls off, smashes his face. 
breaks uh you know bone in his face so he wasn't able to run in the dirt million which I, i'm thinking of that's one of the biggest what ifs that we have in a long time in dirt late model racing what if madden didn't fall off would he have been able to complete the 100 lap sweeps uh, of august and, and i could man I, I would almost i could rank that you could rank that up there with uh, what overton did but still i mean overton uh, amazing job and when i just looking at his car afterwards, just talking to David Wells up in the inspection area afterwards. David Wells, his car owner, looked at it and said, man, but look at this thing. There's barely a scratch on it. There was a little right rear corner, had a little like a rubber mark on the tire. Other than that, it was perfect. And he's like, man, I, I, how, how do you, how can you have a better driver than Brandon Overton to be able to do that? And and like he, and he also Wells said, I think we're going to put this car away until September when the World 100s come back. Yeah, I was actually I was wondering that myself if that car would be kind of uh, you know put put aside and, and saved. So uh, be interested if it does uh, actually play out that way. But I wouldn't blame them at all. Uh, one thing you know when we're there covering you know an event like that, uh, and, and Kevin and I were there all four days. Uh, Todd was there three I think of the four, but uh, Robert, you were there like I mentioned you know watching it from home. When you're there, it's easy to kind of get caught up in the moment you know and everything. You're just focusing on what's going on at those races you know from afar and, and watching it with a little bit different perspective. Did you feel that as well? Like it was that uh, that uh, big of an accomplishment, what Overton did this weekend? Did it have that same effect for those watching it on flow? Well, for, first of all, I, I feel like that you guys weren't paying attention to me when I suggested that it would be easier to sweep in one weekend than it would be like to win back to back. I said that it would be easier for, for a driver. Not necessarily. I didn't think it would happen. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I predicted it because I definitely didn't. No way. I'm glad you pointed that out because I was yeah, going to mention no, it. Don't no, think no you did way, predict it. <laughs> no way did I predict that this would happen. I didn't think it would. But I did say if it was going to happen, it would be easier to happen on a back-to-back weekend than somebody doing it now and then trying to come back and repeat it next, next June. Uh, because like Todd pointed out, you know, things happen from now to September, you know, you race cars, you have your motor program changes, things change. And, uh, and so, so I definitely thought that if it was going to happen, this would be an easier route for it to happen. Now, I think one of the things that stands out to me about the sweep together is, is the four race sweep, not the 200 lappers, but he swept four races of different distances and we had that rain that one day that changed everything. So, I mean, he had, they had to really be on their toes. You know, that rain delay, I guess, in the first prelim night was like 90 minutes or something. They had to be on their toes and be ready for that. That, that just shows how good their program is, how good their car is, how good the driver is, uh, and how well they can adapt. You know, they, they really... Really, I don't, I don't think anybody doubted that they were on their game. They won like 13 races coming into this deal. But, I mean, obviously they're on their game, and, and they they proved it. Now, as far as getting kind of wrapped up in it, as far as being there versus being somewhere else, I think it's just as amazing. I don't care where you're sitting. You know, I think it's just as amazing sitting in the stands or sitting in the press box there or the press room or sitting uh, where I was in Middle Tennessee, you know, uh, it, was a, it was a very amazing feat. Now, honestly, I apologize to Chris Madden. Time flies. I'd forgotten about the Crown Jewel sweep that he or, or in a row, three consecutive Crown Jewels that he had had, like Kevin mentioned. 
our sport moves so fast and there's so many events that you sometimes forget how awesome a performance was because we're just going right to the next one. And I want to tell you that deal with Madden really rivals this because he did it against a different competition at different tracks on different weekends. Uh, so I really feel like what Madden did, uh, was it two years ago, maybe that, that when he swept three straight crown jewels, uh, that kind of rivals this, uh, to me, uh, both spectacular performances that, that I just don't think anybody can take anything away from. And, and I'm not sure that it'll ever happen again in either instance, to be honest. Yeah. I'm glad y'all brought that one up. Cause I, I I'm like, Robert, I'd kind of. I don't say forgotten about it, but just it, it didn't, you know, pop up in my mind as something to compare Overton's, uh, you know, week at Eldora to. But any, like you said, Robert, when you think about it, Madden's wins came at different tracks, different fields, different sanctioning. Honestly, may may need uh, some more evaluation to decide if, which one is more more impressive. Um, maybe after we, you know, get past this little while, let the the uh, uh, impressiveness, amazingness kind of wear off a little bit. Uh, the immediacy wear off a little bit might be worth uh, looking back on and kind of comparing them. Maybe that'll be worth a, a blog or a column or something to, to look back on. Other storylines from from the uh, dream. I don't think, I think we could talk all day about how impressive Overton was, but some other storylines uh, we'll, we'll each kind of bring up a few. I'll, I'll start by just pointing out, I think Kyle Bronson was really impressive to me uh, with three podium finishes uh, leading up to uh, the final night there. I think he was third, his best uh, Eldora crown jewel finish on Thursday and looked good after his heat race win on Saturday. Uh, unfortunately, flat tire took him out of contention early. And honestly, I don't think even at Hatton, I don't know if he'd have had anything for Overton, especially because he was relying heavily. And he even said this relying heavily on the cushion. And I just don't, don't think it was there, uh, there on, on Saturday to be competitive with, with Overton, but still hated to see him fall out like that. Uh, Madden, another disappointment for him. And speaking of being easy to forget things, I had to go back and look at it with some help from you guys, some of his history uh, at Eldora. And I had forgotten that, about the 2006 World 100, the one that we all remember as being the, you know, one of the greatest races in Dirt Lake Morris in history, that he had taken the lead from Shannon Babb, I think on like lap 24 or 25 of that race, and immediately one lap later had a flat tire. Uh, and that was kind of the start for, for Chris Madden, the start of a, a series of heartbreaks at Eldora, leading him to where he is now still looking for his first big win. Uh, he's had a prelim night win at Eldora, but his first crown jewel win uh, in the dream or the world. So kind of feel bad for him when he takes the lead there late. And he even said it. He thought he had it. He thought this was going to be his moment finally. And then uh, the rubber came in around the, the bottom and, and Overton was just better in the rubber than him. Uh, Todd, what about you? You got any uh, other storylines you feel like are worth mentioning or, or reacting to? One guy we hadn't talked about, I don't think, is Ryan Gustin. I mean, and really, if you look at Gustin's season, didn't start off that great. I mean, I'm pre- I've been pretty high on him since way back. I mean, I, he's, he always seems like I think we're all kind of just waiting for him to, like, do his thing. Well, if you look at this season, he's trending upward. And then to run second to Overton, and and any, anybody that was anywhere flirting with Overton it, it looked good at Eldora. So to run second in that prelim, uh, you know, he did, that was definitely his high water mark of the weekend. But but that's pretty good stuff. And and Gustin, I you know, I guess he's maybe sixth in World of Outlaw points. Started off pretty deep and just kind of like crept his way forward. I I, I look forward to seeing what he does the rest of the season. He. Uh, Again, I've been high on him for a long time, but maybe lost a little faith. You know, he's kind of been in and out of late models there for a while and hadn't quite 
kind of got his footing. Well, this is probably his like steadiest season of running. Uh, and what he did at Eldora the other day, running second in that prelim, was you know kind of shows his his potential. So that that's one you know of all the all the guy all the guys we've looked at, they ran good or bad. Especially I hadn't talked about him yet, and uh, yeah, he he uh, he caught my eye for sure. And I I look forward to seeing what he does here uh, uh, heading into the rest of the World of Outlaws schedule. I'll touch on three like, briefly. Um, three things. One, how close uh, was uh, Stormy Scott? If if we don't have a billboard or if we don't have the big board there, does does Overton win? Overton might not have won that first prelim if we don't have the school board uh, instead of instead of Brandon Overton. You know, I think the, I think he he would have had a hard time holding him off. But just to clarify. <laughs> And this is and kudos to Stormy Scott for admitting it. But when he hit the wall, he did tell me after the races that it was because he had been distracted looking at the big screen in turn two that seeing right. where Overton was on the track. So just to right. clarify what Robert's talking about there. Yeah, but uh, at least yeah, at least Stormy was saying. honest about it. <laughs> How many times you drive down the interstate, you know, change your radio station and look up and miss your mark, and all of a sudden you've ran a trailer truck off the road. Happens to me a time or two. Probably happened to me once or twice today. You know, so that's a so and you know, and I and you know, and you're just going seventy or eighty on interstate. You know, those guys are slinging slinging race cars. You know, and I mean, it, it's it could be distracting. So, so anyway, uh, if it hadn't been for that, Overton might not have won. I do think Overton had the better race car, but it was getting down towards the wire there. He was going to have to really hustle to get to get by, you know, uh, to get by Stormy in there. So, so that's one thing. Uh, the the second thing I'll bring up is is you know my guy Dennis Herb Jr. passed so many cars on Thursday night it almost seemed like a win for him. You know, to start back where he started to come from the Concy, got very fortunate to get in the race without having to run a scramble when uh, Ross Bales had some bad luck there at the scales. And uh, and then he starts way back in the back and comes all the way to sixth, was in the top five at one time. So unfortunately, he didn't get to uh, to 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 run on Saturday because he broke a motor. But uh, but man, his run there, he passed no one passed more cars than he did on Saturday. And it, and from the basically the last row to six was very impressive. Um, and then the, the other thing, you know, I'm just going to throw out and let maybe somebody, somebody might have touch on it or whatever, but when is Dale McDowell's consistency going to pay off again? You know, obviously he has a, a dream win, a world of, I mean, a, a world 100 win, but, but, and he's just right there. And you think 10th place on Saturday is his worst in like a decade or 12 years or something. I looked it up, his worst finish. He's right there. So when is that consistency going to pay off for Dale McDowell that he gets an, another one of these uh, crown jewels at, at Eldora? Yeah, it tells you something about uh, Dale McDowell's performances at Eldora is his success there and record there. When, like you said, he finishes 10th and it's his worst uh, worst finish in a dream since I want to say like 2012 or something like that, some crazy number there. He's just that impressive. Yeah. Speaking of McDowell, that's one of the guys that Brandon Overton 
pointed out right off the uh, off the start of the week on, after he won on Wednesday night's preliminary, he says he wants to be like Dale McDowell at Eldora, you know, just being there all the time, consistent, smooth, not up there bouncing off the wall and, and hurting your race car and knocking your deck out. That's not McDowell, and and that's certainly the way uh, Overton ran. So he he took some he took a less he took some lessons from McDowell uh, when his uh, you know fellow Georgia got drivers and uh, and used it to his advantage and. And and also you talked about Madden earlier, and that was uh he, he really he struggled the first few nights. I mean he got in a crash uh, uh, the the on the Thursday night in the in the B main and didn't even make the, the the first dream. So and that was my second pick. I'd picked Overton and Madden, and then then I'm like ah, I don't I don't know if that will happen now after the first two. And then Madden suddenly shoots into the lead. I'm like man I'm like I'm how hot this way. I should get to the casino. I'm, I'm pretty hot here. I might be getting both right. That's unbelievable. But, uh, but Matt, uh, obviously Overton was a little bit too good. And a driver that needs to be mentioned too is Greg Satterley, uh, wins his first ever, uh, race at Eldora. I mean, he's been going there for more than a decade for the world and the dream and decade. Now he's been with, uh, Robbie Allen, a two-time dream crew chief, uh, winner, and and sadly never quite you know he he finished second in the 2017 world but since then he sort of struggled there he hadn't even made a a crown jewel event he hadn't made the feature the finale of a crown jewel weekend since then so uh and and he mentioned on wednesday he didn't qualify in the preliminary night and he said he might have been the worst car in the field he's so bad and uh, and then he comes back on Friday and ends up winning the uh, preliminary night. It's I, I thought that was a pretty impressive. He got a ninth on Saturday, which wasn't bad either. And uh, it was a nice recovery and, and nice to see a, a new face in victory lane too. Uh, that's been coming there a long time. And, and I've always seen that with Saturday. Like he might not be the guy that just blows into a racetrack for the first time he's ever there and wins. Uh, I mean, I've seen this from a lot of his, his history. Now you look, but if he keeps going to a place and he he's gonna he he's eventually gonna get the job done. He he, yeah he he did it with the World of Outlaws. I mean he took him more than eighty races to win a World of Outlaws feature, and then he finally won one on a big track out in Shano in the uh, Wisconsin, and and he's won a few other ones since then. And and, and I kind of equate that to Eldora, where it took him a while to to really break through, but you know kept uh you know kept going. Never gave up, and, and he's got one, and, and he still wants to win that World 100 for Robbie Allen because that's the one that Robbie Allen wants on his resume also. And I know we haven't even mentioned Kyle Larson yet. I mean, that was a guy that was on a lot of people's uh, picks to win uh, the race, and of course he did, he certainly didn't do badly. He had some he had good runs all week. He was in the mix, but never quite. He never was so far up front where you thought that he's going to win this. He was just kind of on the periphery of the top – uh, then about, right at the edge of the top five, uh, middle six to tenth or something, and he and he never really broke through to to, to really show everything. And I think that probably will make him want to come back. I think and and win because I, I heard him say in in his one lap one beer with uh, Derek or Derek Kessinger that he's pretty much won in everything he's raced. So. Uh, at Eldora, so I think he will probably want to come back and win it. And but it was pretty neat seeing him say that after he won the million dollar uh, All Star race at Texas last uh, last on uh, sorry, excuse me Sunday night, he gets in he gets out there and he's uh in a press conference and he's saying he's just glad that Brandon Overton wasn't there to take more of their money more of his money and uh which is pretty pretty cool. I think that it's and he even mentioned Kevin Rumley being a genius and. Uh, you, you know, that's, that's, that's a, a neat thing to see that big guy even mentioning where he's been all the time. I think that's why he's really 
bringing dirt fans in to watch some NASCAR races now. And so you, you got to give Larson kudos for that. No doubt. Yeah, that was, I saw that, uh, that interview popped up on, uh, online somewhere. And that's pretty cool to see. I think the, his first comment in, uh, in his, uh, uh post uh, race press conference there after the all-star race was, was about Brandon Overton. That was, that was pretty cool. Uh, we also, we went around and just talked about storylines and I feel like we all mentioned the positives and I feel like we probably should take a second and talk about maybe some of the guys that were, I don't say disappointed in, but that maybe underperformed on the weekend. Uh, any, anyone jump out at you, Robert, I'll, I'll start with you. Anyone uh, kind of jump out at you that perhaps didn't quite live up to expectations going into the week. I actually picked Hudson O'Neill to win one of the races. And then, you know, he, he runs like 10th or something in the first one and, and they have some rear end problems and they, they don't make the second one. So, uh, so definitely he, he, you know, jumps, jumps out at me right away just because, you know, he was on my list as a potential, a potential winner. Um, I definitely think that we probably all thought that this might be an opportunity for Scott Bloomquist to even get back on track. And he struggled mightily all, all weekend, except for that one day. So, you know, there, there were a handful of guys there, but those two right there probably at the top of my list. Yeah. I think, uh, Josh Richards was one. I mean, he's had a pretty decent year. He's, he won at Bristol, you know, a big racetrack with some banks. Maybe uh, you could liken a little bit to Eldora, and maybe you could say, "Hey, hey, he'll be a he'll be a contender at Eldora." But man, he he never had that Clint Boyer car in the mix at all all, all weekend. And the the one night he, I, I think I was standing next to you, Joshua, when he, he was like he was getting lapped in a heat race almost. He was nearly lapped in the heat race, Josh Richards, and and you got you got remember here, he's never won a Crown Jewel race yet at Eldora, and you think about that and. He's in that uh that list of best drivers that have never won now with Madden and and uh I guess Shannon Babb. Uh, you could really put those three in a little uh little box there and, and and say they are those two three of the top guys that still are got got to win and and this is a you know two races in a row and he he wasn't a, he wasn't a contender in either of them so I I, I was kind of surprised on that I thought that he would uh you know at least show out a little bit. Uh, during this week so uh, that's a that, w- that was kind of a shocker to me I'd say Devin Moran not not a particularly terrible weekend but but, but I think everybody kind of waits for you know after Donnie Moran was so excellent at Eldora everybody waits for it well Devin will eventually get there well we're, we're still waiting and he's still waiting you know he started on the front row the other night and just you know completely dropped back um, yeah Kevin you got something about Devin well, I was just going to say about Devin, yeah, like he's, he started on the outside pole. Yeah. And he just had, the car was way off more. The track was slicker than he thought on Saturday night. But, uh, well, the first time that Donnie Moran won a crown jewel race, he was 27 years old. I, I pointed this out to Donnie and Devin bo- uh, both during the weekend and, and said, uh, and, and now Devin is 26. So now next year he, he's got to, he's got to get to get on the Moran, uh, you know, uh, list here to get in the Moran pattern, I guess, of winning crown jewels at Eldora. He's got next year's got to be his year to, to get through. I mean, obviously he has the world 100 too. That's going to be right before he would turn 27. So uh, he still has a chance to, to beat his, uh, his father at age of winning the first crown jewel, but got a, got a point. I thought I'd point that out about uh, where, where Devin's at in the, in the hierarchy now of the Moran family. Yeah. We'll, we'll give him one more year then. Then we'll really mm-hmm. start getting on him. <laughs> yeah, he, he still and, has. Uh, I wanted to mention there. one other thing we didn't really mention here yet. To another 
don't know if you call him disappointment, a lot of bad luck was Josh Rice. Let's, uh, there's a guy that I think coming in, he just won a Lucas race this year, uh, his first one at Florence. And we were thinking maybe yeah, this, he's got the equipment. He's definitely got the talent. Maybe we're going to you know, remember, we still think about 2015 when he was just a 16-year-old and he qualified uh, for a crown jewel event and kind of really turned everybody's heads at Eldora. And here he comes and, man, <laughs> the first night. Well, I, I think every one of the most, one of the things people remember, I think, other than Brandon Overton of the Eldora weekend was that engine explosion that John Josh Rice had where man he the thing wouldn't shut off is running on the oil or the dieseline I guess I learned a new term there because of that uh that thing just kept running in the pits and then when he got I mean the smoke was just coming out of there people were like back up this thing might blow you know so thought that was uh really that that's something and he didn't have any really good luck after that he heard another motor at the end of by the end of the week her radiator got uh got a hole in it on Thursday didn't make the show and so what what a what a week it was for uh, for Josh Rice. Yeah, that was a wild moment uh, there with on on uh, pit road there with his car just running almost wide open and smoke going everywhere. I've I've been around races since you know before I can remember, and I don't I can't recall anything as crazy as, as that moment there. And uh, it was pretty interesting. We then start looking it up, you know, doing some research on what actually happened. Uh, a lot of googling there and discover that term dieseling uh, as Kovac, as Kevin mentioned. We also did some other research on the uh, on the weekend. Kevin and I did. This was uh, what was this? This would have been Friday night or Saturday morning at this point after the races. Friday night, we were back at the hotel. Kevin and I are working. And I, how long do you think we spent uh, looking up this? Uh, traction control theory and doing our uh what do you i want to call it uh um conspiracy theory research kevin how long were we doing that i know it was like it was way too long with the time it was on friday night but uh, i remember just saying like we're sitting there typing our stories and i'm like man we got we, we just got to be something here that uh will I just, you know, Googled GPS traction control uh, race cars, and I'm like, maybe something's got to pop up. And we ended up finding this website. It was for a, a Racetronics company. It's not far from me, actually. It's in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. And, uh, and it explained really what people had been telling us. This is the theory that Brandon Overton has this traction control that's set up by a, uh, you know, it's controlled by this. It controls the braking of the car by GPS mapping on the racetrack uh you know when the race car's out there and i was like man this is getting real technical but we found something like actually tangible that we could read and you know it says it's 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 in a put in a in, in a tubing and stuff so we're like man this is kind of what everybody's talking about so uh that was uh, it was a good find right joshua we were we were <laughs> we were doing some sleuthing i think well, yeah, we felt like we were, uh, you know, real reporters on the on the case there, going <laughs> to blow it open. But, uh, no, I think uh, it was an interesting dynamic because, you know, we we heard the accusations uh, after Thursday's performance floating around and, and different people, and we won't name any names, kind of talking about it. And apparently some of that got to the, the, the tech officials there, and so they did that three-car impound or top three impound. Uh, after the race originally said that they were going to hold the cars up until noon on Sunday. Uh, they were kind of reserving the right to do that. Of course, it didn't end up going that long. Todd, is that, have you ever known anything like that to, to happen, you know, at such a, a major event, any, uh, you know, tech that thorough or possibly that thorough? 
Uh, I mean, I guess some of the, the engine rules and crate stuff, you know, they always do teardowns and stuff. I, uh, you know, I do like Eldor has, has been kind of nimble in recent years of like uh, for a while they were sending off the tire samples like to express to get them in 24 hours. And and to, to kind of make this move, I, I think it I like the reaction to like, like, hey, we're going to deal with this. What, what I don't like, I just, I just, uh, any time about racing, I'm, com- it's completely deflating when the guy on the, on, in victory lane is not eventually the winner. Um, so if, you know, for some reason, whoever it was, they found out many hours later that they're disqualified. To me, it just, it just zaps everything. I really, I'm really a big proponent of, we need to send these guys on the racetrack with everything that we know is they're good. As long as they make weight, you know, moments after the race, that's the last thing we're going to check. And and this guy's the winner. So I, I, I appreciate them uh, wanting to make it right. And it's great that all three of them pass tech and all that stuff. Uh, but, but it's very unsatisfying in any sport or particularly racing for me when you find out later, I remember I covered the snowball derby, which has had a million disqualifications. And I covered that one time and it was really frustrating because you write all your story and everything else. And then somebody calls you like a couple hours later. Oh, by the way, he didn't win. The, the other guy won because they found, you know, some, some, I don't even know what it was, but, but to me, it's just like, well, why did we all sit there and watch that? And why did we get up and celebrate this guy when we didn't, he didn't, didn't even win. So, and I know that the vagaries of racing are difficult with that because they're sometimes do we do have, we have had tired disqualifications and such. Uh, but but to me, it's such an unsatisfying thing that, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm glad they did that. I'm glad they were they were all legal and everything. But but had he not been or, or somebody not been, it would have been would have been very deflating to me. And I, I don't know what uh, uh, I guess there's some ways you can't you know, you can't stop that because, you know, if you're going to check something like they did with the traction control and, and that, that very specific thing, clearly you can't, uh, tech 80 guys, you know, before the weekend or whatever. So it is tricky, but, uh, um, I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll see where it goes from here, but hopefully it's a uh, much ado about nothing. I was actually going to make that, that same connection and mention in the snowball, I, you know, grew up in, near Pensacola, Florida, and, uh, you know, knowing about that race, going to that race some as a kid and, and always knowing, hearing about it. And then I actually worked at Five Flags Speedway uh, as the kind of PR guy and wrote for the local newspaper as well. And, and I covered three snowballs before uh, kind of moved away and eventually ended up with Dirt on Dirt. Two of the three, uh, the winner was disqualified. I don't remember one of them, but I know one was Kyle Busch's car was a brake cooler of some kind of like blue air on the brakes, a real small tube and was illegal. But it was, it was like you said, Todd, just you're, you're sitting there just waiting at this point. Any, when someone wins a snowball, you know, those who have been around the sport, that sport and know you're waiting, they haven't won it. They haven't won it until, you know, they're, you know, the next day and they've, you find out they've been cleared in tech. <laughs> but, uh, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the answer. Like you'd like to think that, Hey, this is the biggest, you know, two of our biggest races in dirt lake model racing that the tech should be thorough and everyone should be right. But at the same time, you don't want it to get, it almost becomes a joke at that point. I don't, I guess for lack of a better term, when you get to the situation kind of where the snowball has found itself these days, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Robert? Any, any thoughts on that? Um, you know, it's like Todd said, it's really difficult to, to check that many cars. You know, even if you're just going to check the feature starters, 
to go to be that thorough before a race starts it's just it's you just can't do it time wise unfortunately uh so i don't know if there's a solution other than say hey if, if you have a visual you know a, a lot of you know local places you race you're like ah it's a visual my roof's too big or my spoiler's too big or well that's you should have mentioned that before we raced you know that's a visual it's a visual protest you know uh, and so I don't think that traction control is necessarily a visual protest unless, you know, unless somebody really knows something, you're like, Hey, I need you to go over and take a, take a look at Joe Blow's car on his right rear, because I saw the wire hanging out myself. You know I mean? Beyond that, you know, it's just, it's almost impossible, you know, to, to, to do that much pre-race tech in a time you know, in a fashion, you know, where you can, can actually have a race that night? We're going to impound them all the day before, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that would, that'd be tough to, to implement there. I will say one thing on the, the tech note, the, the Lucas Oil series and the World of Outlaw series kind of both being there and being a part of it. That was, uh, although there were some odd rule changes announced with the weights and everything, and we won't go into detail there. Um, kind of seemed like odd timing, but the fact that they are working together uh, with Steve Francis and Ken Canada um, and the, all the, those two groups, uh, I think is probably a positive trying to get everything in line. Um, and they were both, both camps were there at, to kind of, to kind of be involved with what was going on at Eldora and, and kind of work together there. So it was pretty cool to see. Okay. I know there's a lot, so much more we could talk about uh, with the dream, but uh, we uh, do want to move on and at least mention I think the uh, the summer nationals, which if we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, and actually Robert is on the road in his uh, car at the moment, um, getting ready to go cover the uh, opener at Brownstown. Uh, so as you're listening to this, you will be will be already be unless it rains or something. I don't know the weather situation, but we'll already have one race in the books if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Um, but yeah, just kind of going into the summer nationals. Let's uh, I think we'll make it quick here and. Let's each go with uh, one bold prediction for the tour. One thing that you think uh, could happen, but in saying that it might, you're kind of taking a bold step there. Kevin, I'll I'll start with you. You got a, a prediction for the Summer Nationals this year? Uh, a prediction for the Summer Nationals. How about, uh, you know, two drivers complete every race. Two, we're going to have two drivers go to every race. Uh, I mean, it, there's 36, I think, scheduled, and you're supposed to take 31 of your best finish. I guess you can drop five finishes or whatever, but I'm, I've got, I'm, I think it'll be, un, it'll be probably incredible if 36 races got in. I mean, that, that's a lot of races that have to sneak in there without having any rain situation. So I, I'm sure there'll be a little less than that, but if they're dropping races, if you're allowing your drop races, I don't think every driver, uh, there's not going to be five or six drivers uh, completing all of them because you could, you don't have to go to all of them. You're going to pick out something uh, that you could, uh, you could miss. So maybe, maybe two guys, maybe the top two guys in points, uh, the guys that really see that they're the top two guys in points uh, will go to all of them. I'll go ahead and jump in and get mine here. Cause I'm going to do you one better and say only one guy finishes or, or uh, start makes goes to every race. I, I mean, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if no one does, but you know, as long as it is in that last trip to Michigan, when last you saw last year, there were some guys that kind of were dropping off. It would not surprise me at all. If only the guy in line to win the points ends up uh, doing uh, every race. I agree with that. You know, I think that towards the end there that, um, you know, as the points really kind of uh, start, start to get in order that you're going to see some guys 
that 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 long Michigan trip, they're gonna like, nah, I'm I'm done, I'm over it. But uh, my bold prediction: Tanner English uh, wins the the series uh, in his first full year to to run. The, he's you know he's dabbled in it before, but uh, that's my bold prediction: Tanner English wins the tour, his first full season to to run it. It's not a not a bad prediction. He was uh, talked to him at the dream. He did not race his uh, Riggs Motorsports teammate uh, there did, but he did not. He was there because he is uh, keeping his stuff ready and fresh to go for the summer nationals. He's feeling good about it, and he'll be certainly one to watch. Todd, what do you got? Uh, I've got to follow you guys, but I'll say nobody will go to all of them. Uh, that, that's the oh, thing boy. that jumped out at <laughs> me. You all just happened to, to mention it. I mean, I, I guess my point is, as you said, and believe me, this comes from somebody who loves the Summer Nationals. For 30-something years, I've loved the Summer Nationals. But but when you have a series that you tell people, oh, you don't have to come to five races, then you're telling them that you don't have a schedule that you think is reasonable for everybody to go to. And that's I, – I, I can't think of a, a better way to cheapen your, your own schedule uh, by saying you don't have to come to races. So uh, I think it's unfortunate. We've talked about this multiple times. The Summer Nationals isn't wasn't what it was during its prime. And I think uh, I think it's unfortunate that, that fans won't be able to go. You know, you used to be able to go to the Summer Nationals race. Oh, you're going to see Moyer. You're going to see Babb. You're going to see Pierce. You're going to see Shirley, whoever it was. This year, probably you will see the regulars. But there are going to be a number of races where you not see the regulars because the series has given them permission to skip the race. That's uh, I think that's unfortunate uh, unfortunate direction for the series. Yeah, I I agree uh, pretty much 100% with all that. That's it's I just I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out, um, how that works out in the in the grand picture for the series uh, moving forward. But at least they're trying some different things, uh, seeing if it works. So we'll finish up here uh, as we do every week uh, with our one more thing. We go around just throw out one thing that stood out to us from the uh, from the week that was uh, with all the folks on Eldora. Kind of hard to sometimes focus on the other stuff that went on and all the rain. It rained out a lot of the other regional stuff that was going on. But I'll start by mentioning uh, Waycross Motor Speedway had their Jeff Godby Memorial and Johnny Collins down here near me in Jacksonville picked up the five thousand dollar victory there uh, with the uh, the the limited slash i think it's a mixture of crates uh that 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 type of late model there but still a big win for him and uh, a guy that does a lot of racing and is uh, competitive in a lot of the races down here and to see him get a, a win there is pretty big for him so congratulations johnny collins and that bunch kevin what do you got i'm just going to stick stick with uh, eldora and just my final uh uh impression of it i i, I like the the top three impound <laughs> I, I thought it was i kind of i hope they kind of keep that because just, uh, I mean, obviously it keeps should help keep everyone, you know, uh, on the up and up uh, with what they're doing. You know, don't try to sneak anything by because they're going to do a bigger, uh, you know, more detailed inspection that they can do in the infield, in the darkness, and uh, on the, you know, the dirty concrete down there. Take them upstairs and put them in the barn. But what I liked about it was, as a reporter, you know, Joshua was with me for a while there. We went up there, and and it was. Man, it was a nice laid-back area there. Everybody just kind of—they had three cars in there. Officials were going about their business, and and you know the the people with the teams were there. And what that was a perfect time to be able to talk to to, to the winner and the car winning car owner, the other guys. I mean, usually you, you go in the pits and you're talking to them. You uh, you know even you, you try to dig a little more rather than just get away from the press conference deal. Uh, you talk to the driver at 
at the trailer, there's always a lot of fans around. They're always talking. You know, you're, you're feeling like maybe you're stopping them from signing autographs or celebrating uh, the longer you talk to them. But, man, I was able to talk to Brandon Overton and David Wells with, uh, you know, it, it was like their pressure was off, you know. I mean, they were obviously had their eye on what was going on with the inspection. But uh, they were they were able to just speak a little more uh, in a relaxed atmosphere because there wasn't the big crowds around them or anything. They were just hanging out for a while and had a couple beers in them and stuff. So I liked, uh, I, I liked that. I hope they keep that. That's a nice little spot for us uh, reporters to maybe go with I'm going to keep it quiet though, though, Joshua. So that maybe, you know, we'll, we'll be able to be the only ones <laughs> yeah. up there. Nobody else will want to go up there and check it out. We, we'll outlast them though. And then we'll, we'll stay up there until <laughs> it's done. I was going to say, don't give away the, the secret interview place, the best <laughs> interview place there. Uh, yeah. Robert, what do you, what do you got there for one more thing? I didn't know if you guys had heard, uh, but Brandon Overton swept the dream weekend. <laughs> so I'm not aware. sure if you guys, <laughs> not, that's, I'm not sure if you guys had known, knew that or not. It's kind of been uh, under wraps, you know, but no, it's seriousness. Um, uh, another race that I happen to watch online, thanks to somebody's Facebook page, Henry Hornsby, the third picks up a, a crate race, a $3,000 to win crate race, uh, at rock castle speedway. I think it's a track there in Kentucky that used to be asphalt, I believe, but, uh, the West Virginia, uh, kid goes in there and wins $3,000. I mean, it was a very entertaining race, but I mean, guys gets upside down and I mean, it was a melee and I mean, it was very, very entertaining crate race. Todd, you want to finish this up? Uh, yeah, I've got one, uh, Skyline Speedway there in Ohio, which has kind of been off and on racing, actually, for several years. Jeff Burdett, uh, the former racer, just uh, bought that uh, after other guys had worked on it and improved it. Uh, and, boy, what a what an opener they had. 35 late models. Corey Conley won. They had more than 130 cars overall. Uh, that's a neat little track uh, there in kind of the southeast corner of Ohio. And uh, neat to see a track that revives uh, uh, have such a big success on their first uh, first night okay that's going to do it for this week's edition of the dirt reporters podcast we appreciate you listening and and hanging around to hear us recap and kind of relive the week there that was uh we'll uh, kick off the the summer nationals be excited to get through that and get back here next week and discuss it all again y'all have a great week